You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Great job by our, our team this morning. We thank them. They're incredible. Not just those you see, but those you don't see. Can we thank those that are hiding up in the dark box up the back? Legends. I tell you, they, uh, they make us look good, those guys up the back, getting the words up there. So we look like we've got them off by heart. It's not true. We plan it. We aim for it. We prepare for excellence. Uh, but we also make sure that uh, we put things in place so that uh, we don't detract from your capacity to encounter God. We've got great teams in this place. Uh, everything from those that welcome you to help you find a park. Do you know there was guys out there this morning with brooms sweeping away puddles so you didn't have to walk through water? Like, because we're not Jesus, we don't get to walk on water. But so that you didn't have to walk through water. Can we thank the guys who were sweeping puddles this morning? Absolute legends. This is stuff you don't get to see that that um, we do just to make sure that you have a really great experience when you come to the house of God, when we gather together. We try to do things so that your, your time together as we gather is of value. I know how critical it is, this time in a week. People are busy, world is crazy, right? Like we all run 100 kilometers an hour um, and, and an hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday is really, time is of incredible value. Uh, but when we put it aside and we, we position that as an immovable object in our schedule, uh, it's not time that has value, it's what we, what we do with our time that can have value. And I tell you, there's no greater value than what you can do with your time than to find yourself in the house of God week in and week out, positioned so He can speak to you, so that, so that you can encounter Him, so that in the midst of your crazy week where you may not get an opportunity to do anything but flip open your Bible reading app at a red light, hoping the policeman is not sitting next to you in a car. I'm telling you, but if you put two hours aside on a Sunday, you can be in here, in His presence, hear His Word, worship Him, have your soul filled up and go out. And I'm telling you, there is no greater value that you can do with your time than be in the house of God. I'm glad I got three amens on that. That's good. Thank you. You're very encouraging this morning, church. Appreciate that. For those of you who are visiting with us, uh, my name's Nate and I'm the campus pastor here and uh, I just, I, I love it. I think it's one of the greatest jobs on earth, what I get to do. Uh, I get to hear from God and I get to lead this incredible congregation along with my wife who is singing up here this morning. Rach, she is, a, she is definitely the better half of us. Um, come on, you know you are. Um, it's true, she is. In every way, in every way. Want to uh, just church? I'd love to give you a bit of feedback uh, on Pastor Keith and Janet and where they're at. Uh, they're our senior pastors. For those who aren't aware of um, who I'm talking about, they're over in America at the moment. Pastor Keith's mum passed away, um, and I just wanted to give you some feedback um, based on the incredible level of generosity that you poured out last week. Uh, we were able to send over a significant amount um, of money uh, to them and really bless and honour them. Uh, we were able to cover their flights to get there and we were able to cover the funeral expenses um, that they had to be a part of. So can I, on, on behalf of them, can I say thank you? Uh, they did send me a text that just uh, saying how thankful they were, but I want to say thank you. You guys are amazing. 
Honestly, that level of generosity speaks volumes. Uh, That is what honour looks like. Uh, It looks like going above and going beyond um, in opportunities that present itself. Uh, That's honour. And I want to thank you for honouring our senior pastors. Um, That's incredible. Uh, On that, uh, the funeral went really well. Um, uh, They're obviously uh, quite exhausted emotionally and things like that. So continue to pray for them. If you think about them, um, just just encourage, uh, just just pray that God would encourage them, lift them up. You know, His Holy Spirit is our comforter at times like this. He's also our strength. Uh, And just pray that God will really use them in their family situation during this time. That'd be some, some wonderful things you could be praying for our senior pastors. With that said, I want us to dive straight into Scripture. I know that I normally uh, share a story at the start. Uh, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to hold my story to about midway through my message. So for those of you that like the story, I apologise. Uh, but for those of you that like a lot of Scripture, we're going to dive in. We have 10 verses to cover this morning, all right? So um, if you can open to Nehemiah chapter 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, um, we're going to have it on the screen. Um, if, if you do, uh, why don't you throw it open to Nehemiah 4 page 647 in my Bible. Um, I, 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 I don't know what it is in yours, but there you go. Who's got, their, who's got the analog Bible this morning? Represent. Yes, come on. All right. Let me know when you've got it. Thank you. As, uh, come on. I don't, I don't want to dive in while people are still searching. Nehemiah 4, chapter... Four, Nehemiah 4, chapter 4, uh, verse 1 it says, Sanballat, or Sanballat, however you want to go with it, uh, was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a day if they offer enough sacrifices? Look at those charred stones they are pulling out of the rubbish and using again. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, hear us, O our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in the presence of the builders." I don't know who, if you pray like that. Sometimes I pray like that. <laughs> At last, the wall was completed to half its original height around the entire city, for the people had worked very hard. And when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashdites, Ashdodites, Ashdodites, heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall were being repaired, they became furious And they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to bring about confusion there. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. And then the people of Judah began to complain that the workers were becoming tired. There is so much rubble to be moved that we could never get it done by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Awesome. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you're here with us. I thank you that you're a real God who is good and faithful. I thank you that Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. God, I thank you that we stand and we work in his name. Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak to people. I pray that you would meet them where they're at. 
and speak life into their life. God, we want to pray for our Northwest campus this morning. We pray that there would be an incredible time in your presence, incredible revelation. We lift up our senior ministers this morning, God, and we pray you'd be with them, strengthening them, giving them incredible wisdom at this time. Lord, we want to thank you for the Knights and their first win of the season. And God, we pray for wisdom for the Jets. The off-season, you would help them work out what is going wrong. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. To lose 3-2 to the Mariners, something must be going wrong. Uh, Ridiculous. How can you miss a penalty? Anyway, sport has not been great for me this weekend. Uh, The Jets lost and then Man United lost this morning. I'm in mourning. I'm in mourning. If we... um, if, those, if you haven't had opportunity to be with us the last couple of weeks, we have been continuing our series under the kind of the big banner of my Father's house, looking at key aspects of, of what it is to be a part of the Father's house. The first one we looked at was that we need to belong. That, that's a significant statement. It's not just a throwaway line. There is tangible aspects to the idea of what is it to actually belong, to make a choice to belong, but also to be proactive in helping others to belong. It's always a two-sided coin. It's never either or, it's both and. Okay, it's not just about us belonging in and of ourselves. It's about outworking and looking outward so that we help others to belong as well. And then we move from belonging to this idea that, that Jesus said the only thing that He was gonna build on planet Earth was His church. And if, if, he is the, if that is his declaration that I'm going to build my church, then perhaps as the church, we should be engaged in discovering and exploring what does that look like? How are we supposed to be a part of that? If, he's, if that is his overarching plan and purpose on planet Earth, then perhaps we should, we should look into it for a little bit and go, well, we are the church. We're supposed to be the ones being built into this, this thing that, that Christ is talking about. What does that look like? How do we actually play our part? And so we've been focusing on build and the way in which we've been doing that is by tracking through this whole book of Nehemiah. We looked at Nehemiah chapter one, Nehemiah chapter two, Nehemiah chapter three is a whole lot of, 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 of stuff about the different aspects they built. And just to throw, throw a little bit out there, uh, the, the whole um, track of what is being built in Nehemiah three is in reference to families. It's in reference to families, families taking responsibility for individual aspects of the wall and building that. And it talks about that this person built it with their son and this person built it with their son. Can I tell you that building the church is something we do all together. Building the church is something we do as a family of families. Okay, the church is not about individuals. The church is about family. The church is about a family, but families within that family. We're not supposed to build something separate to our own family. We're supposed to bring our family on. If you're here and you've got young kids, uh, middle kids, I don't know, I don't, teenage, let's go with teenage kids or older kids, can I tell you that there is a, a part of the building process that involves you and them together in this. All right, we're supposed to do it together. And, and this week we arrive at chapter four. And as I said before, this is kind of the climactic point of the story. It's been ramping up to this point. And, and I, wanna, I wanna give you a very quick recap so far if you haven't had an opportunity to be with us. So, so can you lean in just for, uh, this is gonna be like Pastor Simo said last week, this is like the, 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 what happened last week, Netflix start, right? Like it's like last week on Suits. Um, is anyone actually still with Suits? Like season eight, like come on, when a couple, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling, I'll be honest. Once Mike left, I've, I'm, I'm struggled to buy in. Um, however, however, uh, here we go, recap. 
Nehemiah, he was a cupbearer, okay, which was a significant role, significant job in, in, in the palace of the king of Persia. Um, and he left that job with the favour of the king. Okay, so he didn't just resign because he suddenly felt like he was to pursue the call of God. No, no, when, when, when favour is on a decision to move out of a career into something else, can I tell you, it's often favour on both sides. It's often God prompting and then favour from where you already are. Don't leave somewhere where there's, you're not leaving with favour. Okay, that's, that's not the idea that God has for people's lives when they transition from one season to another. We go with favour. We go with favour. And so Nehemiah went with the favour of the king of Persia and he left and he went to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Not something that God specifically said to him, but more this prompt that was kind of in his heart. It's just kind of welled up within him. And I believe right now that that's how God speaks to us. Often when it comes to the calling of God, it's not this light bulb written in the sky thing. No, it's a, it's a progressive following the prompt of the Holy Spirit within us. If you're young in here and you're waiting for this written in the sky purpose of God, can I, can I just adjust your expectation and tell you you should be listening for the whisper of the prompt of the Holy Spirit that's going to take you one step at a time, one step and then another prompt, one step and then another prompt, one step and you look for favour, follow the favour and you will find your purpose. Um, and so he went and he arrived in Jerusalem. And before he even began uh, to do any building, before he spoke to anybody about why he was even in Jerusalem, he went out and he surveyed the, the task at hand. Before you make a significant decision in following the call of Christ on your life, can I tell you, you need to count the cost. You shouldn't, do it there, you shouldn't not do it because there's a cost, but you should absolutely count the cost. You should be fully aware of what you're getting yourself into. You need to balance faith and wisdom. Again, you need to balance faith and wisdom. Again, it's not either or, it's both and. When God calls us to step out, He doesn't call us to do something ridiculously crazy. When He said, Peter, to get out of the boat, which seems crazy to us, you've got to remember Jesus was right there. Faith with wisdom. Okay, it wasn't that He was to do it by Himself without Christ walking right next to Him. No, that would have been unwise. But faith with wisdom. And so He scoped out the size of what He had decided to do. And at that point, he still hadn't told anyone why he was there. So, you know, if he wanted to, he could, have, he could have bailed back to his little life of comfort. I think the enemy always presents us with opportunities to go back to the life of comfort when we've made an initial decision to step out in the call of God. There is always a temptation to go back to the life of comfort, which seems easy, which seems simple, which seems stable, which seems secure. There is always a temptation when we see the size of the task of building the kingdom of God. When we, when you, when you, you, you don't need to look too far right now to survey society and the scope of the task that we are called to do, which is to build the church. It seems significant, seems impossible. Can I tell you the enemy would love for you to think that? Because that impossibility is going to prompt you to go back to a life of comfort, security and stability rather than stepping out into the, into the impossible, believing that actually we serve a God who is able to do the impossible. Nehemiah was never called to do something on his own. God was with him. This is why he follows the favour because when he follows the favour, he can be confident that God is with him in the impossible task. He's not out there by himself trying to do something impossible without God. I haven't even reached my, my body of my message yet. Remember that he'd never been to Jerusalem before. 
when he, when he began to follow the prompt of the Holy Spirit, he'd actually never even been to Jerusalem. He was born and bred in Persia. He was raised in Persia. He was raised in captivity. He was, uh, and I tell you, I, I, sometimes you don't need to see what God is calling you into. You just need to know that there's a prompt from the Holy Spirit to step out. And Nehemiah stepped out and he left his life of comfort. He left his cushy career at the side of the king because of a prompt in his spirit that God had something for him to do for his kingdom, had something for him to do for the city of God, something for him to do that would influence the people of God, something that would rebuild the, 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 the city uh, of the people of God that God has said, you know, I'm putting my hand on this people. I'm calling them out. This people is gonna be uh, the, the light out there that that represents my reality. These people are gonna show all the nations of the earth that I'm real. And, and, And that call still stands on us today. We are supposed to be a people that represent and demonstrate and show that the God we say we believe in is a real God. You see, in Nehemiah's day and age, building was a literal thing, right? Like bricks and mortar. Like he's actually going to rebuild a brick wall. Um, and, and for some of us, that's not really uh, the case. Uh, for some of us, it is, right? For, so some of us uh, who participate in CityServe, right? We, we will tangibly uh, go and do uh, things that build into the kingdom of God. There's a tangible nature to that aspect of building. Or for those that, that arrive here early and they set up tables and chairs, there is a tangible nature to building the kingdom of God. But for most of us, If we're honest, it's not like that. Uh, More often than not, the way in which we partner with Christ in the building of His church is to pursue the call that He has placed on our life within the context that He's presented it to us in. You've got to remember, we all, and we talked about this earlier in the year, we all have the same call to partner with God in building the church by going and making disciples in all nations. Right, The commission that we were given under the banner of the the declaration of what Christ was here to do. Build the church through making disciples. That is what we are all called to do. If you're wondering about your call here today, that's it. We just all have different contexts. So I do it here from a platform, from a church office. You might do it in a bank. You might do it in a school. Someone else might do it as a a university student. It's just a different context. It's the same call, different context. The reality is that the church is the only thing Jesus said he would build, which means no matter the context of your calling, it will in some way result in the building of the church. Can I, can I just be, be your pastor for a second? I know that's odd for some of you because you're like twice my age, but, but if, if you're pursuing something in your life and there is not a flow on that in some way builds the church, can I just gently challenge you to, seek God for what the call is that he has on your life because I don't believe he calls people to something that is separated from his plan and purpose which was to build the church. Now now that doesn't mean that all of us suddenly become pastoral ministers um, but it does mean that what we do in the marketplace has a purpose. It does mean that what we are doing in our day to day, if we believe we're in a job because God has placed us there, then we do that job with the understanding that we have a purpose in that place beyond just doing our job well. Now that's part of it. We do need to do our job well, otherwise we'll distort the image of God within us, right? But we we should be on purpose in that workplace and we should be intentional in that workplace, whether it's building up finance so that we can can help fuel the, 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 the expansion of the Kingdom of God, whether it's the fact that we have an 
opportunity to interact with a whole lot of people during the day. And so we have the capacity to be God in people's lives, to speak hope and life and love, or whether it's just that we actually have an opportunity to volunteer in these services where we can, we can tangibly bring hope and life to people. We can, like, like Cap, we can partner with that and actually bring tangible aspects of the Kingdom of God into people's lives. Can I tell you that, that you need to be intentional in your context about the calling that God has on your life uh, to, 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 so, that it can, so that it can be outworked in its fullness. So the, the scripture we read this morning, the scene opens and what we find is that Nehemiah is being confronted with opposition. Sanballat, Tobias, the Arabs, the Ammonites, so consistently through that passage, what we find is that there is, suddenly they're angry. Suddenly, suddenly they're, they're, they're furious. They're furious. There's opposition against what Nehemiah is doing. And the, we have to understand that the reality of opposition coming against us uh, when we pursue the call of God is not an if, it's a, it's a when. That if we are actually uh, determined to follow the call of God, if we have done like Christ said He did, set His face like a flint, if we have, if we have determined that our life is gonna be about the pursuit of God and His purpose, we need to understand that opposition is going to come. Opposition is gonna come against us. Um, James is clear about this, right? Uh, to put it in the New Testament, James chapter one, verse two, says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Not if, but when. When you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I don't want to preach too much on, on this certain aspect right now, but I do need to say that, that, that testing is the path to maturity because it presents us with opportunities that we are left with questions and maturity is learning not to have to have answers. you notice when Nehemiah was lounging in the lap of luxury, living the secure and comfortable life, there's very little direct opposition to what he is doing and how he has chosen to live. But the moment he stepped out to pursue the call of God had in his life, immediately opposition began to come against him. And if you want to check that out, we've got to flip back a page. We've got to go to Nehemiah 2 because Nehemiah 2 is the first time that Nehemiah vocalises the fact that he's pursuing this call of God. Up until this point, it's kind of been like he said to the king and he got, he like, he's like, look, king, I've got to do this. And well, would you release me? And the king's like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going I'm to release you and I release you with favour. Here is all these letters. Here is all this instruction to give timber and, and assistance and all of this. He leaves with favour. But from that point on, he, he sneaks out at night to survey the scene. He doesn't tell the officials while he's in Jerusalem. It's kind of, he keeps it like this little secret. And sometimes for a while, we need to do that. When God begins to speak to us about the call that's on our life, we need to protect it. Because if we don't, someone might speak into it and they'll destroy it before it's had enough time to take root in our lives. And so we need to protect when God begins to first speak to us about our calling. We need to protect it. There will be a right time to, to declare it. But if we declare it too early, opposition can, can come against it before, uh, before it's taken enough root in our lives and opposition will disrupt us. And so Nehemiah 2.17 says this, But now I said to them, You know full well the tragedy of our city. It lies in ruins and its gates are burned. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and rid ourselves of this disgrace. 
Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversations with the king. And they replied at once, good, let's rebuild the wall. I love people's first response to to doing something um, until they realise what they're getting themselves into. So they began the good work. But when Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. Opposition. That is right there is the first record of Nehemiah declaring to anybody other than the king that he is here to rebuild the wall. That he is here to rebuild, that this is his purpose, that he is signing up for this, that he has given himself to this. This is the first record of him, of him declaring that out loud to others. Uh, and there is a significance in that. Let me tell you, there is a significance in the moment that you stand before others and you say, you know what, this is my call. This is it. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing for the kingdom of God and this is what I'm giving my life to. There is a significance in that moment and it was in that moment that the opposition began against him. And it continued consistently for the entire rest of Nehemiah. I want to tell you something that happened in my life last year. Uh, As you would know, last year for me represented a significant career change. 10 years in teaching, loved it, felt like it was exactly where I was supposed to be. Uh, I had the opportunity to speak to young people about God all the time. Uh, But just like Nehemiah, you could say over the, the, the years toward the end, God began prompting me. Just prompting. Um, and, and there was a whole season where I would not acknowledge the true reality of the call that God had placed on my life, mainly because I was afraid, uh, I doubted myself, all of the same things that you guys struggle with when God begins to speak about you doing something. Uh, I didn't want to leave the comfort of, of, of a, uh, a private school teaching job. I mean, I, I'd been there 10 years. I basically write my own timetable. I knew all the students. I had no, no discipline issues in any class. I mean, if you're talking about a great teaching career, I had it, I, was, I loved it, but I couldn't shake what God was beginning to do inside of me. And so I, I went on a progression. I went on a progression and I did it in consultation with our senior ministers and I did it in consultation with my principal and each step of the way there was favour. And I dropped from, from full-time to 0.6 of a load, oh, sorry, full-time to 0.8 to 0.6. And towards the end of last year, I knew I was in a one-year window. I was in a one-year window. I was able to do, I was graced for that particular pace last year for one year. And I knew at the end of the year there was a significant decision to make. Either I was going to give up teaching, I was going to pursue ministry full-time, or I was just going to go back into teaching because it was too difficult and all all of the elements that came with it were too significant to change. And just as I was working towards a point of confidence in what God had called me to, um, I had an encounter with significant opposition, tangible opposition. I'm not just talking about opposition that I often face, which is in my own mind. I'm talking about tangible opposition. I used to, I used to um, once a week, I would get up early, I would go down to the beach. It was, it was a place I loved to walk, just early as the sun was kind of coming up, and I would just pray. I just, I loved it. There was this place I could pour my heart out to God. Nobody was around, um, and, and, and it was good. It was like my, you know, God talked, the Scripture talks about having this hiding place, this secret place. That was my secret place. Um, and I could be completely transparent before God and, and, and be fed and just be with Him. And one morning, as I was walking along the beach, uh, I'd just finished praying and I would, I would finish and then I'd kind of do an do a, a up and back beach run. Uh, and just as I started to run, this guy approached me. And he approached me and he was, he was kind of muttering under his breath, you know, in a, sort of a similar way to we pray in tongues, but I could tell it wasn't, right? Like I, there was, the atmosphere was wrong. It, was just, it was, just wasn't right. There was something already that, that in the atmosphere, I was like, 
well, I'll be suss on this guy. And he came up to me and I pulled out my, my earphone and I just kind of was like, you know, you don't want to be that guy that doesn't talk to anyone at all. Um, and I was I kind of like a bit sociable. And, and, and so I pulled out my earphone and he goes, the first thing he says is, it says you can run, but you can't hide. And then he started to threaten my family. And at that point, I, 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 I was like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm done. I put my earphone in and I, I ran off. Now, to be entirely honest with you, that rocked me. That absolutely rocked me because I recognised that I was stepping into a battle that wasn't just ethereal, it was real. There is a real battle for the lives of people in our city. And I can tell you, I was almost at a point where I was willing to stand confidently and say, I'm called in a full-time ministry. And the enemy right at that point in time tried to bring a significant amount of opposition into my life so that I would divert the course of my life and stay in a place of comfort and stay in a place of convenience and stay in a place where I wouldn't have to face that, where I wouldn't have to deal with that. But instead, I could just, I could just, and I could have argued it away. I could have argued that God was using me in teaching. Absolutely, I could have done that. I still talk about Jesus in the class. I, I would have. But I knew what God had prompted me to, to step into. I knew what God had prompted me to step into. And I, I battled fear significantly for months after that for months after that. But slowly I began to recognise that the very fact that I had opposition coming against me was a confirmation that in fact I was in the middle of God's will. And so what the enemy used to bring fear, God began to use to bring confirmation. And we have to understand this about opposition, right? Because like Jesus, who took the enemy's strategy, which was the cross, the enemy's greatest strategy was to kill the, 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 the Messiah and the Son of God. And Jesus turned the enemy's greatest strategy into a silver bullet against the enemy. And we can do the same. We can take opposition that tries to come against us and use it as the very thing that highlights the fact that we're heading in the right direction. Because I'm telling you, the enemy is not gonna come against you if you're heading in the wrong direction. But as soon as you start heading in the right direction, you start getting some opposition coming, let you, you should use that as confirmation. You should look back at the enemy and go, oh, you're coming against me now? I'm just gonna keep walking in that direction then. Because clearly you're concerned about what I'm stepping into. Come on. The presence of opposition should not be a case for concern, but a neon sign of confirmation. On that, right? Like not everything is negative. Not everything that's negative or difficult in our life is opposition, okay? Like I get that, right? Some things are simply results of bad decisions or poor discipline. And we just need to own that. Right, I'm going to get a little bit of like self-maturity and just go, you know what, I made a bad call and now I have to deal with that. Um, so that, that's not the opposition. Opposition will bring accusation and condemnation about that, but he, he, you've got to own your decision. The recognition of opposition requires some discernment. Here are a few things about opposition, right? Let's fly through this. Opposition will always try to seem bigger than it is. Okay, Sam Ballot was one person. He was just one person, but he... He presented in a way that was as if he had this entire army behind him. It, 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 it's even highlighted in Scripture in such a way that it seems like it's this significant opposition against Nehemiah. It was one person. The enemy will always try to seem bigger to you than he really is. 
Opposition will always come against you from three angles. If we read verse 2, we can pull them out. It says, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a day and if they offer enough sacrifices? Look at those charred stones they are pulling out of the rubbish and using again. The enemy will always come after your identity, your ability, and your strategy. Who you are, they weren't poor and feeble Jews. They were the people of God. They weren't poor and feeble. They were empowered. God was with them. The enemy will always come against your identity. Second thing he'll come against is your ability. Do you really think you can build it in one day? You're not even a tradesman. You're actually, you don't even know how to run a plumb line. Like, your brick wall is going to be like going this way. Like, like, you don't have the ability to do this. I don't know how many times I've had that go through my head. You don't have the ability to do this. The opposition will always come against your ability. And then he will come against your strategy. Because if you begin to plan how you're going to do it, you begin to actually get some tangible steps. Some like, yeah, we're going to do this. And then we're going to do that. And, and we're going to do this. He will try to come against your strategy and tell you that, that somehow you are unwise or you don't know what you're talking about. Just like he does here to Nehemiah. Opposition attacks through accusation, trying to bring doubt or question. Ultimately, his goal is to bring you to a place of confusion. Verse 8 of Nehemiah 4 says, They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to bring about confusion there. You see, the op opposition knows, the enemy knows that if he can keep you in a place of confusion, he will halt your progress. If he can get you into a place of confusion about your calling, you won't move anywhere. You won't do anything. We as human beings, we don't like to act out of confusion. We, we like to act out of certainty. We like to be in a place of certainty before we make a decision, before we step out. Uh, but if we're in a place of confusion, we tend to halt. We tend to hold back. Oh no, I just, I need a little bit more clarity in that. I need a little, a little bit more detail about that. I have to be sure. And so the enemy will use accusation. He will use doubt. He will question you on things, particularly around your identity, your ability and your strategy so that he can get you to a place of confusion and halt you in your progress. The amount of students that I taught who would sit an exam and they would get halfway through an exam and they'd be traveling really well, they'd be, they'd be crushing it and then they'd reach a question and the wording of the question confused them and it, it stopped them in their tracks. And it's like their exam beyond that point was like, it's like, what happened to you in the middle of the exam? What, like, and and oh, I didn't understand that question. And it threw them for the rest of the exam. If the enemy cannot stop you starting something, he will try to stop you from finishing. You want to know when, when, when this, this articulation of opposition is actually more to do with them at a point where they are halfway through building the wall? It's way back in Nehemiah 2 that they start building. And then Nehemiah 3 is about all the bits they did build and who built it. But when we get to this kind of climactic point, they are at halfway. And sometimes, sometimes we can really easily confront the opposition at the start because we're passionate, because we're like, yes, this is new, this is fresh. But it's halfway through. When, when, when we're still going and there's the grind, right? And we're in the middle of the grind. And opposition comes and we're a little less passionate because we're a little bit tired. We're a little less passionate because we're a bit more busy. And the opposition has a field day in our mind. Because not all opposition is as confrontational as what I experienced. And I don't really expect to have that 
all the time. You know, I'm not really worth it to the enemy, to be honest. He's got bigger fish to fry. But I tell you where my greatest, my greatest uh, battlefield of opposition is. It's in my mind. I, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty convinced that it's not just in my mind, it's in your mind. It's like daily doubt, daily questions, daily accusations. Things just go, you know, did I really hear from God? What am I doing? What am I doing? That is a question that goes through my head a lot. Right? Actually, this is crazy. Maybe it was just the pizza. Anyone have that one? Maybe it was just the pizza. Maybe it wasn't prophetic at all. Maybe it was just it was like a prophet lie from the pizza that I ate. I thought I was sure, but now I don't know. Should I or shouldn't I? Maybe I'm not qualified. Actually, I don't, I don't think that I do have the skills. And I don't know what it is for you. There's probably a whole hundred, hundred little statements, a hundred little questions that the enemy bombards our mind with to bring us into a place of confusion around our identity, to bring us into a place of confusion around our ability or, or, or the strategy that we were planning, right? Like, like, I don't know about you, but I still struggle with sin and the enemy uses that as, as like this this thing that he just puts in front of me. I mean, the, the Bible tells us we're never fully going to... We're never going to fully defeat our battle with sin until Christ comes back, right? So let's, let's not just pretend we don't all struggle with that. But what the enemy does is he takes it and he places accusation against it. And it's like he has this little, little, this little accuracy. And it's the accuracy that harms us the most. Because if we're not convinced of our forgiveness and if we're not convinced that we walk under grace and if we're not convinced that every sin was paid for on the cross of Christ and that we have nothing to, that the accusation can stick to, it will get its little claws into in something that seems real in our life. And we will suddenly feel like we are, we are unable to fight against it. Before you know it, you seem to have sidelined yourself, stopped and you're confused and you're uncertain. James goes on to tell us straight after the fact that opposition is guaranteed in this life that we should not allow it to get into our heads. He tells us that we should not allow it to take us to a place of confusion because when we're in that place of confusion, we are, we are unstable and we are ineffective. It says we'll be tossed around by every wind and wave. And let me tell you, we need to understand that God is not the author of confusion. And if we know that truth, once we're confused about something, we can, we can go, you know what? Just like using the presence of opposition as confirmation that we're in the middle of our calling, if we can determine the source we can use the enemy's plans for confusion to bring us clarity. You see, if we know that God's not the author of confusion and the confusion is coming from the enemy, then that confusion is actually not confusion, it's actually clarity that we're stepping in the right direction. And we can take the enemy's plan and we can flip it back on him and we can go, the moment that you try to bring confusion into my life, I'm gonna take that as confirmation that I just stepped in the right direction. I'm not going to let confusion stop me. I'm going to let confusion propel me forward. You want to bring confusion against my calling? Oh, I'm going to use that as a point of clarity in my calling. I'm confused about whether I should be up here preaching. Let me tell you something. That's just been the greatest point of clarity that I should be up here preaching because the enemy is trying to work against my calling. And so confusion no longer becomes something that stops us, but propels us. These doubts and accusations no longer cause us to pause. Instead, their very presence drives us forward. Knowing that if the enemy is trying to bring confusion in this moment, it must be because I'm on the right track. 
So even the best of the enemy we can take and use to bring us confirmation and clarity. We can use our opposition as an opportunity. Yeah, that's what Jesus did. He used the, the zenith of opposition in his life as the greatest opportunity. He took the, the, the fullness of opposition, which was the cross, the moment where, where people thought, and the enemy thought that he had won, he had, he had crucified the Messiah, he had killed Jesus, this, the king. He, he took that very thing and created the greatest opportunity for people to re-enter the kingdom of God. And so when opposition comes, do what Nehemiah and James tells us. James says, pray for wisdom so we can discern. Because if we can discern the source of our confusion, we can use it as clarity. If we can discern where fear comes from, we can use it to propel us forward. If we can discern where the accusation's coming from, we can use it as one of the greatest signposts to our calling. Discernment enables us to see opposition as confirmation and the confusion that opposition will try to bring as clarity. Pray and keep moving. Pray and keep moving. James says, this builds endurance, which leads to maturity. The enemy's great strategy can be used for our own. Progress. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. So don't buy into the we would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, Use visit us online good. at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.